Thank you, choir. We'll continue our study in the book of Proverbs. We have one more week uh, in the book of Proverbs, and then we're going to dive into 2 Thessalonians. Uh, but the topic we're going to discuss this morning is the issue of anger. And I wonder if anyone in here has ever been angry. Maybe one or two of you. <laughs> one or a few times. Uh, so far today, that is. <laughs> you know, you may be angry right now. You may be angry with the, pers- the person sitting next to you or someone, someone at work. You may be angry with me or someone else in the church, or you may be angry with your neighbor, uh, angry with yourself, you may be angry with God. You know, we've all experienced anger. And um, I want to ask you this question. If your anger was a weapon, what weapon would it be? And I know this is simplistic, but there are basically two types of weapons. You have one weapon that is able to strategically strike an object without damaging everything around it. Think of like a sniper rifle or maybe like a laser or even like a surgeon's scalpel. You know, it can, it can home in on the issue without destroying everything around it. Very strategic weapon. Targeted weapon. Uh, the other kind of weapon is one that is not very accurate uh, but causes a lot of damage. I'm thinking of like a grenade. You know, you ever, have you ever tried to do uh, like target practice with a grenade? Yeah, just <laughs> that, the reason it doesn't work well is because not only does it, or like a shotgun, it's hard to you know really narrow your focus with those types of weapons because they just blow up things and shrapnel goes everywhere. These little pellets go everywhere, and there's just lots of damage. So, if you were to characterize your anger. Would you say that you're able to express your anger in a way that targets the issue? Or when you get angry, do you just kind of blow up like a grenade, shrapnel going everywhere? Well, if you're like me, you probably have both weapons in your arsenal. (laughs) And probably been guilty of both. You know, targeted, healthy anger, appropriate response, as well as just what they call losing your temper. Of course, I'm still wondering how we find our temper. Like, where'd it go? But, uh, you know, we, sometimes we do that. We just explode. And so this brings us to the questions that I want to seek to answer this morning. The first question I want to try to answer is, what is anger? And then I want to answer the question, or at least try to uh, answer this question. Should Christians get angry? And then finally, how do you handle anger? So let's deal with that first question. What is anger? The American Psychological Association defines anger this way. It says, anger is an emotion characterized by antagonism toward someone or something you feel has deliberately done you wrong. So it's a feeling of opposition towards someone or something that you feel has deliberately done you wrong. And I think that's a very accurate definition. Uh, You know, we get angry when someone or something, because it could be something, right? I mean, something inconvenience you or cause you to get angry. Um, When someone or something does something wrong against us, we get angry. Another way you could define anger is this way. 
Anger is what you feel when something you love is being threatened or hurt. Anger is something we tend to feel when something that we love is being threatened or hurt. Think of it this way. You take your your five-year-old son to the playground. Okay, you take him to the playground. He's playing around the slide, on the swing. He's running around. And then this 10-year-old boy comes up and pushes your son down to the ground. What do you feel at that moment? Well, you feel anger, right? Because something that you love, someone that you love, your child is being hurt. And so you have this feeling of anger and you want to stop it. Now there's healthy ways to stop it and there are unhealthy ways to stop it, right? But that feeling of anger is is flowing from um, having something that you love being being threatened. And so uh, becoming angry in that instance is an appropriate response. So we see that anger is not always a bad thing. You know, God Himself gets angry. Listen to this passage from Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Paul writes, But God's angry displeasure, this is also referred to the Scripture as God's wrath, His angry displeasure erupts as acts of human mistrust and wrongdoing and lying accumulate as people try to put a shroud over truth. So think about this. God gets angry when that which He loves is threatened or hurt. So we know God loves the world. God loves mankind. And the Bible teaches us that sin, which is a um, distortion of the way God made things, is actually harmful to both us and our community. And so when we sin... God gets angry at that because it unravels the life that He has given us. It taints what He has made. It negatively affects His creation. So God is angry with our sin because it destroys something that He loves, namely mankind and His world. So sin is the 10-year-old boy pushing the five-year-old boy down the playground, and God doesn't like it one bit. And so there is such a thing as righteous anger or being angry for the right reason. Which leads us to the second question, which is should Christians get angry? Well, listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. He says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Did you catch it? Paul says, be angry, but do not sin. In other words, there is an appropriate time to be angry. In other words, there are certain things that should make you angry. Now, how we express that anger, Paul says, we need to be careful in how we express it. Because we don't want to give the devil a foothold. In other words, we don't want to compound the problem in how we express our anger. In other words, we don't want to lob a grenade and explode everywhere and cause more harm than good. And so there's a way to express the anger. But my point is, should Christians get angry? The answer is yes, we should. 
there are some things that should cause us to become angry. Which leads us to this final question that I want to spend a little more time on, and that is how do we deal with anger? And how we deal with our anger really depends on what is causing us to be angry. And there's a few different reasons that can cause us to be angry. Listen to what the, uh, the 17th century British minister, Reverend William Secker, once said. He says, He that would be angry and not sin must be angry at nothing but sin. He that would be angry and not sin must be angry at nothing but sin. And so in the person of God, we see anger in its untainted form. You know, God's anger is justified and right, and He always exercises His anger with proper proportion. But you and I know our anger is not always justified. You know, we get angry for all kinds of things, and the way we express it is not always very healthy. Right? Like I said, sometimes we just explode like that grenade and shrapnel goes everywhere. And this is why the Proverbs teach us that being angry is not wrong necessarily if the reason is justified. But how we express that anger, we have to be very careful. And so the Proverbs teach us that we should be slow to anger. Slow to anger. Proverbs 15, 18. Listen to what he says. He says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife. This is the grenade launcher guy right here. The hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. So you, you see what the verse is saying. It's saying that if you allow your anger to be expressed in unhealthy ways, then you destroy your community. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife. Strife is what lodges into a community and tears it apart. And this all goes back to being a hot-tempered man. In other words, allowing things to get under your skin and then blowing up at people like a grenade. But the one who is slow to anger now, he says, if you're slow to anger, you're able to express your anger in a way that targets the sin without destroying the sinner. It's able to target the issue, the sin, without destroying everything around it, namely the person or the community. And as a result, this verse tells us that more often than not, a quieting of contention or a resolving of the conflict is what results. Proverbs 14.29 says this, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. You ever notice when you, when you lose your temper, how you feel afterwards? I mean, you feel, you feel foolish, right? And the reason you feel foolish is because you were a fool. <laughs> That's why. That's what it says. You know, when you lose your temper, it's foolish. That's why you feel foolish once you settle down and look back and say, oh man, I, 
I just totally overreacted there. I mean, I just went about that all the wrong way. Even though it may, your, the reasoning may be justified, the way you handle it may not be healthy. And so he says, whoever's slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is hasty has a hasty temper, exalts folly. To be angry for the right reason and to express it in the right way is very difficult. And this is why the philosopher Aristotle said this. He said, anybody can become angry. Anybody can become angry. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person and to the right degree and at the right time and for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not within everybody's power and is not easy. I think we agree with that, right? I mean, not only to have a a right reason, a justifiable reason to be angry, but then to express it in a way that is healthy can be a very difficult thing. And so how do we handle our anger? How do we handle our anger? Well, it depends on the reasoning behind our anger. So let me give you a couple examples. First example, let's say, uh, just imagine yourself as a parent, and you see your child... uh, and you can replace child with friend here if, if, if that would help you. But the idea is that someone you love is making destructive choices. And I want to just think about children for a minute. Let's say your child is making destructive choices. Decisions that will affect them negatively. And so you get angry. Okay? You see them making destructive choices and that causes you to be angry. And the reason you're angry is because you love your child and you see the decisions that they're making are going to harm them and so you want to protect that which you love, which is a godly parenting thing to do, right? And so you get angry at the decision making and the, and the choices your child is making because it's going to harm them. You know, you want, what's God's, you want God's best for them and they're making decision, decisions going against God's best for them and that causes you to be angry. In other words, you don't hate your child, but you hate the choice. And so as a parent, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get rid of the bad choice and preserve the child. It's the same thing with a friend. If you see a friend making destructive choices, you want to not hate the friend or destroy the friend, but you do want to destroy that which is destroying your friend. And the way we do that is that you, you speak God's truth into their lives based on what the Bible says and how they, how they should do that. To a child, it may be one, one way. To a friend, it may be the other. In a church setting, it may be another way. But the point is that you, you deliver God's truth to them. And here's the key. You deliver God's truth to them in a loving way, dealing with the issue And then you do not retaliate with the destructive behavior that they are participating in. For example, if you give them God's truth and they tell you, uh, I hate you. Or, who do you think you are telling me that? The way to respond in a healthy way is to not respond in like kind. In other words, don't yell back at them. I heard someone say one time that, you know, Children, if they start yelling back at their parents and trying to insult their parents, 
Uh, and then if the parent joins in on that, uh, the parent is probably going to win because we have a lot more experience, you know, in doing that. But the point is that we don't want to retaliate, but we also don't want to back off truth. Because it is the truth of God that will get rid of the destructive behavior if they will accept it. And so you don't want to back off the truth. You don't want to back off sharing the truth in love for the person. But what you do want to do is you do not want to retaliate in an unhealthy way. You want to absorb their anger. So when they yell at you, I hate you. You don't yell back, well, I hate you too. You absorb it. You absorb the anger. And you speak truth and love. Now that's one example. And that's an appropriate example. Now let's consider another example. Because we don't always become angry for the right reason. Let's take that same scenario. You have your child. Your child's making a destructive choice. Participating in bad behavior. And you become angry. So anger, we're both experiencing anger, okay? Both examples. However, this time, I want you to consider this. Your anger, and this is, this is what I see in my own life, anger is like a huge signpost pointing, pointing you to what you love the most. Anger is a signpost pointing you to what you love the most. And so let's say you see your child making destructive choices doing some bad things, you get angry, but here's the question you need to ask yourself. Why is this making me so angry? And not just with your child, but anything that you get angry about, you need to ask yourself, why is this making me so angry? Because what you might find is this. You may not be angry because your child is being hurt by destructive choices, you may be angry because of the way his or her choices may make you look to those around you. So you may be angry that your child's acting out, but it's not because they're making destructive choices that may harm them, but you're angry because it's making you look like a bad parent. In other words... You're angry because of how people may view you. In other words, your reputation may be damaged, and so you're angry. I'm using a parenting example, but this could be true of anything. You know, let's say you're running late for a, uh, a meeting at work, and you're in traffic. What do you do? Well, you may be bursting out in anger, cussing out the guy that's, that's you know, slowing down in front of you. Why? It's not because you're so concerned with efficient traffic. It's because being late makes you look bad in front of your peers. And instead of apologizing to your peers and saying, you know, I just didn't leave myself enough time to get here. I'm sorry. Uh, I just, yeah, I should have, I should have done a better job. You're, you're blessing everybody else on the interstate because you're so concerned with what people, how people view you, you're exploding in anger. And my point is, is that anger is often a signpost to point to what the Bible calls are idols in your heart. Things that you're looking to for identity, your identity, your self-worth, your satisfaction. Anger oftentimes points you to those. 
And it's showing you what you really care about in life. But you have to ask the question, what, why am I becoming so angry about this, whatever this may be? And oftentimes it will point you to an idol in your heart that needs to be dethroned by Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus is on the throne of your life, that brings perspective to every other area of your life. And I've said this many times before, but you know, C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, uh, if, you, if you make second things first, you lose both first and second. But if you keep first things first, you gain both first and second. And the idea is that when we keep first things first, namely God, and He's on the throne of our lives, then everything else, how our peers view us, uh, our parenting, how our children turn out, all these secondary issues are put in perspective. But Christ must be on the throne. And what I want you to see with Jesus is not only does He show us an example of how to deal with our anger, but He also has dealt with God's anger on our behalf. Because you remember Romans 1.18 tells us that God is angry with unrighteousness. He's angry with sin because sin is destroying us and His creation. So He's angry with sin. And so the issue is, well, how do we, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with our, our unrighteousness, our sin? Well, uh, well, God would no longer be angry if we were righteous. Well, how do we become righteous without sin? Well, the Bible says the only way we do that is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is the good news of the Gospel. Prior to Jesus' crucifixion, death and resurrection, He did a few things. And one thing He did was He, he celebrated what many considered to be the, was the Passover feast, or what we may refer to as the Last Supper with His disciples. And in Matthew 26, 26-29, this is what we read. It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now in a few moments, we're going to reenact this Last Supper by participating in the Lord's Supper where we will, we will eat the bread that represents the body of Christ that was given for us and we'll drink the cup that represents the blood that was shed for us on the cross. But what I want you to see is that after dinner, after that supper, Jesus went to what is called the Garden of Gethsemane with some of His followers to pray. And I'm going to read Matthew 26, verses 36-39. through 39, And I want, to, I want you to take notice of a second cup. A second cup that He references. Verse 36 says, 
Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And He said to His disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with Him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then He said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with Me. And going a little farther, He fell on His face and prayed, saying, now listen to what He prayed, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as You will. Now what is this cup that Jesus is referring to? It is the cup of God's wrath. It is the cup of God's anger against sin. Our sin. And in that cup contains all our sin and all that needs to be drunk in order to make us righteous. And so when Jesus went to the cross... He drained the cup dry so that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus drank the cup of wrath so that we can drink the cup of everlasting life. And so as we prepare to to eat the bread and drink the cup, let us not only look to Jesus as an example of how to deal with our anger, which He gives us obviously the best example and how to do that. But let us also look to Him as the one who satisfied God's anger on our behalf through what He did on the cross for our sins.